You may have noticed something about the name Knight Frank, the second of those two words in particular. Frank. We've always prided ourselves on being just that with our clients, and never more so than now. So if you're thinking of selling or letting your home, contact your local Knight Frank office. We'll give you a frank opinion of its value, frank advice on the best pricing strategy, and a frank estimation of how quickly it will sell or let. What else would you expect from Knight Frank, your partners in property? Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast in the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts, their clients and our partners. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with interesting people from across the world about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today, I'm back for a bonus episode with the founder and managing director of Country and Townhouse, Jeremy Isaac. Jeremy and I had such a brilliant conversation about his early career in the army in Belfast, why he decided to found Country and Townhouse, and how the publishing industry has adapted and changed following the pandemic. Jeremy began his career as a captain in the British Army before moving into the publishing world, first as the CEO of the Columbus Group, and then as the founder and CEO of Metropolis Publishing. Following the acquisition of Metropolis by Archant in 2006, Jeremy co-founded Country and Townhouse in 2007 alongside his wife, Lucy Cleland, and the magazine has gone on to become one of the UK's flagship luxury lifestyle publications. Jeremy, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. It's a great pleasure to be here, Becky. Thank you very much for inviting me. No, it's great to have you on. We're really excited about this episode. So how are things going for you at the moment? How have things been in the madness of the past year? Well, they have been a pretty mad past 12 months, um, as we all know. Um, But no, I'm feeling very upbeat and positive um, about 2021. The sun is shining again, um, as it was this time last year when we went into lockdown. but I think and hope um, that we all have a great deal more to look forward to um, for the rest of 2021 than we did last year. Um, and uh, I'm sure the news on the Today programme this morning from Grant Chaps that people can start booking holidays um, from July and August this year is going to give everybody a huge amount of sort of good cheer and optimism. So no, feeling very upbeat about the rest of 2021. Amazing. That's so great to hear. And I think, yeah, I think everybody is really getting into that more positive, optimistic mindset off the back of what has been a pretty somber year, I'd say, for most people. And from a professional perspective, so in relation to how things have been with with country and townhouse and all the sort of adaptations you might have had to make, how's the past year been from that perspective? Um, It's been very, very challenging. Um, And we've, we've had to adapt very, very quickly to the circumstances from being the, we were the media partner of the Cheltenham Race Festival um, this time, almost exactly this time last year, um, at which it was great fun to have a number of Knight Frank um, team along with us. Um, And sort of pretty much immediately after that, as we all remember, London went into lockdown. Um, We had to decide what, what, what was best to do. And so we were, we were already on a, on a path to really develop and grow um, our, our existing digital business at that stage. Um, so we decided very quickly to do two things. Um, we turned what had already historically been um, the monthly publication of country, the cycle of country and townhouse 
um, to publish the magazine every other month rather than every month, which would then allow us, A, to, 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 to make a smaller ask um, on, our, on our advertising partners, um, who are obviously immediately going to be watching budgets like Hawks as far as marketing spend. Instantly, we went into lockdown was concerned. But it also meant that the team could then double up uh, on the digital business, which, which has grown exponentially during lockdown. Um, and so that actually worked very, very well. And, and, and you know, I, I think that a very small part of the team um, was on furlough for only about five weeks. Um, but for the rest of the time, you know, the entire, the entire country and townhouse business um, has been working just as hard throughout the last, um, you know, the last 10, 11 months of the year. Mm, that's so interesting. And we'll definitely go on to talk about how magazines and the publishing industry has had to adapt more generally to huge changes over the past few years. Um, anyway, um, as we go on in our conversation and chat about country and townhouse more specifically, but I like to start these podcasts by taking things all the way back to the start. Um, of your career and look at where, uh, how you ended up where you are today. And as I mentioned in your introduction, you began your career as a captain in the British Army. And I was really interested to find out what the impetus behind this decision was and what the experience of being in the army was like. Well, I think that I think that the short answer to what the impetus behind the decision was was me do, not doing anything like as well as I'd expected to do in my A levels. Um, otherwise, I'd have gone to university instead. But my dad was a soldier, um, and so I'd very much sort of grown up in an army environment. And so, um, so having having not done anything like as well as I was expected to do in my A levels, um, I then worked on a yacht in the Mediterranean for about six months, um, and came back and thought I would give um, a, a military career a go. And actually, with the benefit of hindsight, I'm incredibly glad that I did that. I had an incredible time. I was in a, I was in the Welsh Guards, um, and so one sort of lived this sort of rather extraordinary life of sort of mixing um, proper sort of soldierly things, and 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 you know whether that was going to Northern Ireland or or, or being in Germany or being on exercise in the Brecon Beacons. Um, with changing the guard at Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle. So, and, and, and I was also, you know, like you can or can't end up with an amazing group of people at school or university. I was fantastically fortunate that both at Sandhurst and in the Welsh Guards, when I was commissioned, I, I ended up with an incredibly great bunch of people, um, many of whom have become sort of lifelong friends. So I, it, was, it was the perfect thing for me to do um, and I left at the age of 23 from, um, from Belfast, um, West Belfast in Northern Ireland, where I did my final six months. Um, so it was an extraordinary experience that ranged from yeah, running everything between the police and the army in West Belfast in 1986 to having dinner with the Queen and the Duke of Edinburgh and Princess Diana and, 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 and Prince Charles um, at Windsor Castle on Christmas Day. Um, so it was a very varied and interesting um, five years. Mm, that sounds so interesting. And there's so many questions I could possibly ask off the back of that. But I don't think we'd have time for me to go through all my, my <laughs> no, royal sure. trivia that I wanted to ask. <laughs> um, but you said that, that you, you left the army at the age of 23. So 
why did you decide to leave? Because I feel like as, as much as you said that you joined kind of straight out of school, that's not a huge amount of time to have been in the army for. And you said that your your dad had been a soldier and it sounded like it had been a, a kind of almost like lifelong career for him. So what was it that motivated you to, to leave the army and, and decide to pursue something else? I think I think like lots of people, I think I very much saw it as, as, as a university alternative. Yeah, I, I, I think that... I think I was very well aware that you did it for a short-term commission um, and did, as I ended up doing, sort of including Sandhurst five years. Um, so I was, you know, I was very young. I was 18 when I joined um, and 23 when I left. But I'd seen other people, you know, I think, I think it was the sort of career that you either stayed in for your whole career and retired at 55, or you did as a short-term thing. Um, and I think I felt that the sort of, doing it half halfway um, was quite a sort of dangerous career progression and ending up sort of leaving a 30 or 35. So I, th- I, th- I thought it, I, th- I thought it was something that I would absolutely love to do, which I did as a young uh, as a young person. but but the, it was it was important to leave when one was young enough to to, to join another another career when you were still very young. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And and did you always have a sort of eye on on a career trajectory? Did you always have that sort of foresight of thinking, okay, I'm going to do this until this age, and then I'm going to go and do this, and this is how I like my life to map out? Or was it more spontaneous than that? Was it at 23 no, you thought actually I'm going to do something different? It was much more spontaneous than that. Other than you know, I I knew that I knew that that was a good time to leave the army. Um, and I also knew that, unlike quite a lot of people that left the army at the same time, um, that went into banking or insurance, or um, that, that I wanted to do something a little bit more creative. So I think I was sort of, I, you know, pub- publishing was always something. I've always been you know, a massive reader. I've always been hugely into books. Yeah, you know, I, I, I thought that there was something very interesting about. The, the, the mixture between the creative side of publishing and obviously having a, a great need for it to work commercially at the same time. I was, I was always very interested by the mixture of the two elements. Mm, yeah and I always try when I have these conversations I always try and put my always quad psychologist hat on and say oh I can find all these links between between what you did before and what you do now but Personally, when I think about it, I can't think of a huge amount of links between being in the military and being in in publishing. Do you think that there are any any links between the two? Do you think that your skills that you gained in the army, be that adaptability or kind of having to to immerse yourself in lots of different situations, do you think that that helped you prepare for a career in publishing, or do you think that they're two quite separate things? Um, I think they're I think they're very separate things, but I think that. You know, particularly um, for 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 my career and my life, the the, the army the, the the army does an amazing thing in that it gives it gives very young people a huge amount of responsibility, um, but within a very carefully structured framework. So you know, as I say, when I was when I was twenty three, I you know I used to have to go and have a meeting at the RUC headquarters in Springfield Road every Monday morning and plan everything that would happen between the army and the, and the RUC, the police in Northern Ireland, um, for the whole of the rest of the week. And that was in the days where, you know, you couldn't walk down the Fool's Road without a loaded, um, a loaded rifle or, or, so it was, they, they, they were pretty hairy days. So that was, you know, that was quite a lot of responsibility for a 23 year old. 
And, you know, I think, I think the other thing, hopefully, the army does, you know, one day you're sitting in the bottom of a, um, a rain-filled trench in Salisbury Plain chatting to Guardsman Jones 23 if you're in a Welsh regiment um, and it's pouring down with rain and you're both smoking fags and trying to cheer each other up. And the next day you're sitting next to a general at lunch. So it gives you an amazing ability to talk to people um, from every kind of background, I think. So again, from a, from a commercial point of view and a salesman's point of view, I think the army is quite helpful from that point of view. Mm, yeah, I suppose it kind of gives you that that appreciation of sort of discipline and, and structure, which I suppose would help, as you said, from the commercial side of things when it comes to to deadlines and budgets and things like that. And so when you when you left the army and you decided to to get into publishing, was it only publishing that you thought of? Was it I'm incredibly creative, but I also have this business mind. I love reading and books and those sorts of things. And so publishing was a, a natural route to go into, or did you consider lots of other things and fall into publishing? No, I, 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 it, it, was, it was very much, I think, I wanted to get into publishing somehow. Um, and then it was just one of those incredibly um, fortunate, um, fortunate sets of circumstances in the if, if you do a tour in Northern Ireland, or certainly in those days, if you did a tour of Northern Ireland for six months, you literally had sort of one long weekend off in the middle of it. And so I was back in London for four days in the middle of, um, in the middle of um, a six-month tour in 1986. And my mum had met a guy at a dinner party who had a publishing business, and she was, I think, probably sort of becoming rather desperate about the fact that I didn't seem to have a clue what I wanted to do in spite of having said that I was leaving that summer. And she very much sold my um, rather non-existent qualities at that stage. And he said, fine, OK, we'll tell him to give me a ring. So literally that weekend that I was back in London, I went and had a meeting with him in the city where he was based. Um, and he said, well, you know, if I haven't found anybody better, better than you in three months' time, I'll give you a job when you leave the army in three months' time. So I rang him the day I left, um, went on holiday for a couple of weeks and started with him um, the next day. Wow, that's that's a very kind of serendipitous sort of trail, trail of events. Well, and completely. I was very lucky. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I, I love stories like that because I think that sometimes it is those, those almost chance encounters that take careers and lives in completely different trajectories. So I, I find them so interesting to sort of dig into. But you, as I mentioned in your introduction, you started off as the first as the CEO of, of the Columbus Group, and then you went on to found Metropolis Publishing. So how did you end up going from I've just been given a job and they nearly took somebody if they thought was going to be better in three months to then going on to, to setting, to being the CEO of the Columbus group and then founding your own publishing company. What was the kind of the bit in the middle there? How did you get to that stage? Um, I think just sort of being very lucky to be in very entrepreneurial businesses all the way through. So the guy that gave me my first job after I left the army was I mean, completely extraordinary and, and said, this is what I want you to do. Um, here's a budget. Um, you don't even have an office or anybody to work with. So here, here, here is your budget. You know, I think it would be a good idea if you work sort of within half a mile of, of where I am. But go and find yourself an office. Go and find yourself a team of people that you think can do what um, you need them to do for us to hit these budgets um, and get on with it. And, and it, I mean, sounds quite extraordinary now, but it almost literally was like that. 
And then we built, um, I mean, there were a number of sort of complicated sort of acquisitions and mergers and things, but but we ended up building that company up to Columbus Group as it became, um, which had a load of sort of interesting different facets, um, including a very, very big travel publishing business. But we floated that business on the stock market um, in 1997. And then very shortly after that, um, we bought a business called Hill Publishing, which many of your um, Knight Frank colleagues will remember um, because we published the Hill Magazine and Southwest Magazine. So it was the first of the very much um, high-end property supported local London magazines. Um, and I bought that for Columbus Group just after, just after we floated. And that really became my sort of introduction um, to, 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 to publishing and high-end estate agency. And, and, you know, I've been, I've been involved in, in, in that business ever since. Mm, and I'm really interested to pick into what you said at the beginning of what you were talking about there, which was that you sort of got thrown in the deep end and told to almost just get on with it and, and cope with whatever sort of came your way. And I feel like a lot of people in that situation would would flounder they wouldn't know what to do and it, it would sort of consume them in some ways I think it takes a very particular kind of person to be able to adapt to that and cope with that and make the best out of something like that and would you say and it always feels I always find that these questions are a little bit strange because it feels odd to be describing yourself in that way and always looking so introspectively but do you find that actually you're a naturally sort of adaptable person? Do you take, when things come your way, do you try and find solutions to those sorts of problems and try and adapt to it in a way that a lot of people perhaps wouldn't do? Um, I hope so. Um, I, I, obviously, I, I try to. Um, you know, again, I think that the army is, is probably a very good background um, for that sort of thing. I mean, it's extraordinary how many of my contemporaries have gone off and done very entrepreneurial things rather than just sort of following down um, the, the mainstream of corporate life. So no, I think I think I think it it, it does probably prepare you to be to be quite calm under pressure. Um, and uh, I mean I I think I've I've always enjoyed sort of starting things from scratch almost. I think that that if 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 you know if there was something that I would say that I've enjoyed most in my career. It's when something didn't exist at all before and you create something from the start. So, but, 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 but again, I think, you know, as I said in my analogy with the army, I was very lucky that um, certainly in that first job and often thereafter, I've sort of, <clears throat> I've been given quite a lot of responsibility, um, but with a huge amount of support around me that, that, that meant that, you know, you were much less likely to just sort of go off um, and make a complete sort of dog's breakfast of it all um, because you had very supportive people around you to help you get as close as you possibly could to getting it right. Mm. And I suppose once you've been in the army and you're quite literally in some instances, I imagine, dealing with life and death situations and it's obviously an incredibly intense experience at times. I suppose once you've been through something like that, a commercial decision, as much as it can induce stress and can be there's myriad things that could go wrong with it. I suppose nothing quite compares to that feeling of, of being in the army. Well, I mean, I, th I, I, I certainly, you know, sitting in Belfast, if there was ever a shooting or a bomb, I had this terrible tape player that I had to press play and record on. 
um, so that everything that you said there afterwards could be recorded if there was an inquest um, following up whatever had happened. So if you made a sort of tired or stupid mistake and, and, and sent the, 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 the soldiers that were going to back up the incident or the ambulance or the helicopter, or um, if you sent them the wrong way or, or, or down a sort of um, a blind alley, that, that your mistake could have resulted in somebody losing a hand or a foot or an arm or a leg, let alone their life. Um, you know, the consequences of that were pretty massive. So, so it definitely puts into context, you know, obviously one wants to make every commercial decision that one takes as, as, as successful as possible, but you, know, you don't sort of jump up and down and scream and start throwing things around just because you've missed a month's worth of sales budgets. I think it's quite, you know, it's easier to put things in perspective, that's for sure. Mm, absolutely. And so looking back on those, those early years of your career, and I suppose you've, you've touched on elements of this already, but what would you say were the overarching sort of biggest lessons that you learned from those, those early few years before you, you set up Country and Townhouse and before you, you took um, Metropolis sort of as big as it became? I think for, for, for me, it's always been sort of really, really simple. Um, and I think sort of, I've been, I've been very lucky always to work with somebody amazing above me, from the guy who gave me my first job um, to, to the people at Columbus, and then in setting up and starting my own businesses with, with Metropolis and Country and Townhouse, um, having incredibly um, supportive and loyal shareholders and investors. Um, so, so, so I think, you know, the key... Having, having the people that you report to being great people, and then obviously um, the team that you work with you know, is, is completely, completely and utterly critical. And, you know, I think, I think the really exciting thing, you know, especially with Country and Townhouse now, is that um, we have just built this amazing team of people. And uh, so, 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 so I think, you know, having, having the, Having the key lead at the top and then this amazing team of people around you are, 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 are the really fundamental lessons. Mm, yeah, I think the support network is something that when you read sort of interviews with, with big CEOs and you you kind of look at all the, the Forbes 30 under 30 thing, it all centers around this one person. It always it always feels quite individualistic, but I think that support network point is is really important because I think that you can't get to positions of, of seniority and success and things like that, however you choose to define success without those sort of support networks. And something that I always ask um, everybody who comes on this podcast is the advice that they would give to, to people at the very beginning of their career journey with similar ambitions. And would you say that part of that sort of advice piece would be around building a support network and making sure that you've surrounded yourself with people who you could rely on and who you could learn from and who could help you? I think I think absolutely crucially, and uh, you know, it, it's 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 been particularly interesting for me on the sort of the country and townhouse journey, and you know, in the regular meetings that I have with with with, with our investors, a lot of whom are very invested in you know a great myriad of of, of up and coming luxury brands. Um, you know, it, 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 you know, doing everything from watchmaking to uh, sustainable drinks making to to you know making socks, um, and and seeing the mentoring and advice, you know, and and there's the obvious financial support from the investment, but watching how these um, the, these these investors 
in emerging luxury luxury businesses across the board how they how generous they are with their support and their advice and their contacts um, and the sharing of the mistakes that they've made in the past and um, and yeah and, and watching how those those brands that have often started at the same time as we have you know, how, how they've they've gone and, and and built up and developed so no I would I would say that that was you know, having 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 a, a mentor, a backer, um, somebody who you really respect and, and you believe is going to be loyal and supportive all the way through, even when things do get tough, as they're inevitably going to at some stage, that, 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 that's absolutely critical. And I think, you know, for most of us, it's terribly important to have somebody that, that, that stretches you um, and, and that you feel you know, just having your own business on your own without anybody to report to. Um, you know, I think that there can be an inclination to, to, to either sort of become terribly introspective and not sure where to go and where to share ideas with, or become a bit complacent and a bit lazy, unless you're having somebody that you've got to report to and you feel is going to stretch you that extra bit of distance. Mm, yeah it's that almost accountability it's that yeah. okay you're, you're you're going about doing something but actually you've got in your back of your mind that there's somebody who who needs you to do a certain thing or you need to be doing that and helping them and it's, it's all that sort of stuff that surrounds it I suppose yeah or you know or you're doing really well but don't you think if you could do this it would be even better Mm, yeah I think everybody sort of needs that no matter what because I think a lot of the time we talk about it being in the very early stages of your career that you you have mentors and you you need that kind of top-down support but actually as you said there it's, it's actually no matter what stage of your career you're at it's always beneficial to have mentors or people to bounce ideas off of I think so I think it's absolutely crucial Mm. And on the topic of, of Metropolis and, and Country and Townhouse, I listened to uh, an interview that you'd given and you you spoke about the fact that Metropolis had been this series of local London magazines that you published and that it inspired Country and Townhouse. So when it comes to creating a publication that has become as successful as, as Country and Townhouse, how did you go about starting that and how have you actually made it into a kind of in quotation marks success? Well, I think I think what we did was that we took everything that that that, that had worked well um, within Metropolis, and I think that lot, lots of um, lots again of, of of your listeners, I think, will remember a magazine called The Resident, um, which was the flagship um, magazine of of Metropolis, and was a hugely popular sort of you know very long standing. Chelsea local glossy magazine in which the very top um, estate agents, including Knight Frank, would advertise, um, but had great content. It had these very quirky um, cartoon front covers with sort of local Chelsea characters and, 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 and landmarks always featured on it. And so um, you know, we, we, we took the resident, we then built up a number of other magazines. So we launched a Notting Hill magazine and we launched a Battersea magazine and we had an Islington magazine and we had a Chiswick magazine. And we took all the features of, of that, um, which, we sold to, um, which we sold to the Archant Group, um, as, as, as you said, in 2006. And it was the, the concept of the fact that, unlike selling a magazine in WH Smith's or Waitrose or, or Marks and Spencer, um, that if you targeted the magazine correctly and hand-delivered a good enough product through the right letterboxes, um, one could reach this very, very high net worth 
very engaged, um, affluent local London audience through a free distribution magazine, essentially. So our challenge with Country and Townhouse was how we could take everything that we learned from the resident, essentially, um, and put that into a magazine that was as good as any of the, you know, the, 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 the nationally recognized um, Condé Nast um, quality magazines. But, but to do that on a free distribution door delivery basis. And it became very clear to us right from the word go that the only way of doing that was be to have the most incredible content. And that's where I was, I was lucky enough that, that, that Lucy, um, who is, as you know, both my wife and our editor and co-founder of Country and Townhouse, she saw the opportunity to create um, what inevitably I think is, 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 is a really fabulous quality product from a, from, a, from a content point of view. And where I talk about building this amazing team, um, you know, Lucy and her co-editorial team, have 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 you know been absolutely fundamental to the success of country and townhouse. Mm, and you obviously you, we're coming at this from a from a night frank angle, and you mentioned that it was a lot of the time at the very beginning very much centered around those luxury real estate companies, luxury property companies, and. Yeah. You then decided to branch out a little bit further into the luxury market more generally. And I feel like it takes a particular level of, of trust building when it comes to working with brands that are working at that higher end of the market. What did you do to ensure that you established that trust with brands? How did you go about making sure that you positioned country and townhouse as this almost luxury publication in of itself that they would be in keeping with and they could trust your brand with their brand almost? I think the, 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 the plan was always to have a very beautiful, luxurious lifestyle magazine that also carried the very best um, estate agency advertising. Um, so, you know, we were, we were very determined right from the word go that it wouldn't be just a number of, I mean, there are obviously fewer of them around now, but, but you know, there were quite a number um, of, of very property-heavy um, free magazines in London in 2007 when we launched Country and Townhouse. So, so it was really important to distinguish Country and Townhouse from those. So, I mean, I think two things. Obviously, um, the, 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 the title of the magazine very much gives it away in that you know, the whole ethos of the magazine is very much you're in London from Monday to Friday, you work hard, play hard in London from Monday to Friday, you probably have a big job in London from Monday to Friday, but the dream downtime um, is in the country at the weekend. So, so, so that very much distinguished it from the local London magazines. But we also, and this is where, you know, Lucy was so clever, was that every single word in every single issue of Country and Townhouse for the last sort of 12 years has been written by a very well-respected national journalist who is an expert in their field. And as you know, Country and Townhouse covers everything from property to fashion, to travel, to food, to culture. Um, so, so, you know, the, the, the quality of the journalism is just as strong as you find in Country Life or in Vanity Fair or in Tatler or in Harper's Bazaar, um, because we're using very similar quality level writers um, to all of those other national newsstand magazines. And so, you know, very quickly we found that actually if you were getting 
what to all intents and purposes was the same quality as a Condé Nast magazine being delivered free through your letterbox in Chelsea or Notting Hill or Holland Park or Belgravia you know, uh, with a beautiful front cover and a Cartier um, advertisement on the outside back cover and 10 pages of beautiful night prank country and London houses. Um, then actually what wasn't there to like? You know, very quickly, the other luxury brands then began to, um, to pick up on it. So, you know, Cartier um, had never advertised on the outside back cover of a free magazine ever before, I don't think. But their marketing team and their PR team began to really get and love the content and to see that this London and country at the weekend lifestyle was very much one that Cartier wanted to engage with. And so you know, the, 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 the rest gradually began to build from there. Mm. And on the topic of adapting and, and changing and, and growing and evolving of the content, which you alluded to there, I suppose over the past few years, I suppose since probably 2008 and the, the financial crush, um, magazines and publications have been, I suppose, in physical form and some digital ones as well have, have, have had to fold and it's been quite a difficult time for, for the publishing industry. And you launched Country and Townhouse in 2007, just on the cusp of, of that crash. What was the impact that the global financial crisis had on you? Did it make you really have to ensure that did you always, have, I suppose, have that vision of, of keeping it as a print publication or did you consider taking it solely online? How did that sort of uh, seismic change in the way that the publishing industry operated, how did that impact your brand given that you'd only just started it? I think that, the, um, well, it was absolutely terrifying because we sort of, we launched in March 2007 and got off to this sort of wonderful, enthusiastic sort of flying start. And then, you know, everybody suddenly realized that, that you know, whether you were great or small, um, things were going to be really tough. So, so we had a very, very difficult 18 months at that stage. Um, I think we, I think, I think all the way through, um, and, you know, very much still today, um, we have remained very firm believers in the power of print, and particularly in the way that we do it, in that, we are, we are, um, and we'll probably talk about that in a second, but you know, we are, we are in the midst of very, very rapidly growing a digital business. Um, but, but the print business and the digital business will continue to work hand in hand. I think there's a very big difference between waiting um, on the shelf of Waitrose or Marks and Spencers for somebody to come and buy you proactively delivering a message to the right people in a format in which we're endeavoring to get as close as we possibly can um, to, 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 to delivering something that we know that people really like and really enjoy and really engage with. Um, and we just actually um, conducted a really major reader survey and we're hugely excited and we'll be sharing with you um, and our other luxury partners the results of that very imminently. But you know, I think it very much underpins the fact that we are delivering people a, a, a magazine that they really, really enjoy and influences their lifestyles. So, so I, I think, you know, I, and I think funny enough that I speak to a huge number of people, particularly at the moment, that say, um, especially after this year in which we've spent our lives locked into Zoom calls and, 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 and Teams meetings and the, the power of just having the luxury of reading um, a glossy magazine in print that is about the really lovely things in life 
whether it's the beautiful house in the country that you've been dreaming of for the last two years, or where your neck's going to go on holiday when, when borders are unlocked, or the beautiful watch or piece of jewellery that you might buy um, when you get your bonus next year. You know, I, th I think that I think that print has a, 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 will continue to have for a very long time a, a massive impact on brand awareness um, and association of, of a strong brand um, with a lifestyle to which people aspire to. Mm, yeah, I really agree, actually. And I think that that is that really interesting distinction between the magazines that haven't necessarily fared so well and the ones that have survived in print. And I think it is what you speak to there. It's that luxury element of it. It's that people, especially after the past year, as you as you spoke about, it's that everybody wants that physicality now. Everybody is, is, is so much more of a novelty to have a physical magazine and it's so much more of a novelty to read something that's actually a print book rather than a something on a, on a Kindle or whatever. And I think actually the, the benefit of being within a, a luxury market is that, that it gives it that extra sort of feel to it. It gives it that okay, this is, this is great, but it's also got all these amazing things and it feels more tangible and more aspirational, I suppose, if you have it in print rather than digital. But your digital business, and this is something that we've worked on and we're, we're continuing to work on between Night Frank and, and Country and Townhouse, your digital business has grown exponentially and the content that you produce on that side is also incredibly um is this brilliant and is, is growing exponentially as i've already said but how do you therefore find that balance that sweet swap between creating a print publication that has that luxury element it has that sort of um aspirational quality to it while also creating a digital project that's that's different enough to to stand aside from the the print publication but also combines those two things together well i think that i mean and that i mean that, that's a brilliant question and it's something that we've been wrestling with right from the world go, because what we realized would be a, a, a pretty dangerous um, mistake to make would be to end up with having two very separate businesses. So, so I think that the, 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 the first and, and, and biggest challenge that we faced was, was, was how we ensure that the voice um, of, of, of both country and townhouse in print and digital um, was very much the same. Um, and I think, you know, again, one of the exciting things that we've discovered from this big reader survey piece that we've recently done is that the demographic of the online reader and the demographic of the print reader are almost identical, apart from the fact that, as one would probably expect, um, the age of the, of the online reader is, is slightly younger. So I think, um, I think what we're saying is that what we see the we see the huge benefit of the digital business um, is in the it will is that it will allow us to reach a very much larger audience more often, more quickly, more reactively um, than the print business. So you know, the, the 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 print business, as I've said, is currently bi-monthly, although we'll continue to publish all of the special issues that we publish every year. Um, so the hotel guide that we publish. Um, the Great British Brands, the book that we publish, our watches and jewellery special issue, um, and our interiors book, they will all remain. Um, but, but certainly for the foreseeable future, the, the main country and townhouse magazine will remain bi-monthly. And then with our digital business, um, we've then identified eight core content hubs around which the whole country and townhouse business um, exists. So culture being a very obvious one, um, travel being a very obvious one, food and drink, 
property being absolutely critical. And of course, we have this very big schools publishing business through our schoolhouse division. So we are the, you know, we are the biggest private education publisher in the UK now um, as well. So it's expanding on those hubs, um, creating communities within those hubs. So within each of our digital hubs, um, we now have a varying frequency, an online e-newsletter um, edited by the magazine editor within that section. So we have a very strong interior section that now has um, a, a, an e-newsletter, a podcast, and its own hub on the website. So we're, we're then building up a very strong online interiors community that can listen to a podcast, that can receive a monthly e-newsletter, and then that will allow us to partner with Nina Campbell or Osborne and Little or Goldfax and Fowler or David Lindley and allow partnerships for those interior luxury brands um, to put their message alongside our content to a very engaged online um, community. I think that's so interesting and I think it's it's such a great way to create that sort of adaptability with the content and I'm I'd like to ask a little bit about where you you alluded to creating communities and I think that almost goes back to what you were saying about having that support network around you and how you thought that it was incredibly valuable to have that that team was that something almost that I suppose it's, it's a tenuous link but I think were you looking to create communities within your publication because that you'd on the business side of things you'd found that so beneficial to yourself? Do you, I suppose, really value those sort of community, that building of a hub, that building of a sort of being able to connect with people on that level, be that just through publishing a uh, an article or something or publishing a particular section and also on the personal side of things, being able to connect with people? Well, I think um, you know what what we're what we're trying to do um, at the risk of sounding hideously pretentious. But I think what we're trying to do is to create a voice um, that is the country and townhouse voice, and it's that same voice, as I said, in the magazine as it is online. But that you, know, you become introduced to country and townhouse probably because you had the magazine delivered to you in the first instance in Chelsea, in Notting Hill, in Fulham, in Kensington, in Belgravia, and that you hopefully liked and enjoy it. We are then sort of saying, dear country and townhouse reader, we can offer you huge amount of additional content much more frequently um, to a wider audience than, than the London distribution. And you know, as you know, um, we sell the magazine in Waitrose and Marks and Spencers and independent news agents nationwide. But the, but the big focus of the magazine distribution is in central London. That, you know, you can actually, if you love interiors and you love the country and townhouse voice, you, know, you can listen to the podcast, you know, nearly nearly 10% of our online traffic comes from America. Um, so um, you, know, you can listen to it in, 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 in Aberystwyth or Aberdeen or Abergavenny, and you can subscribe to the podcast and you can subscribe to the newsletter, but, but, but it's the... You know, it's it's getting the voice right, and I think that you know what we've you know what Lucy and her team have tried incredibly hard to do is to get this very luxury, very aspirational, very um, upmarket, high end content, but in a but in a sort of a realizable way. So you know we 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 very want you know, we very much want the magazine for people that you know, walk to the local pub with their kids in their muddy wellies at the weekend rather than flying in a helicopter to the pub with their kids at the weekend. So striking that sort of British, that very British luxury in that 
things can be beautiful and they can be expensive and they can be upmarket, but but they you know you you still can have your feet on the ground and be a and be a real person. Yeah, you know, and 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 we're also very much driving the business um, towards a sustainable angle, um, and it's one of our um, it's one of our you know driving ambitions this year to become a B Corp in in 2022. So that's going to be you know that's going to become a very very important. Um, a very, very important part of the whole country and townhouse message. And in fact, our next issue, the May-June issue out uh, at the end of this month, is, is, is going to be our second sort of very sustainability-focused issue. Um, so, so that's an exciting thing to look out for as well. Mm, that's hugely exciting. And I suppose it's that it's that link to authenticity, isn't it? It's, it's being authentic in whatever you're doing, but also being saying as you did with the sustainability thing there that it's looking to the future and it's looking to how can we improve ourselves and how can we constantly strive to be to be better be that from a concept perspective or from a sustainability perspective and yeah and I suppose this is always a, a, a tricky question because I think after the past year I think all plans have have gone out the window but looking forward at the the future of country and how townhouse and what you in, envisage in its future what is what is next? What's on the horizon for for both yourself and the wider business? I think I mean, funny enough, I think we're we're quite well um, we're quite well set. Um, I think the, the the plan certainly for the next couple of years um, is very clear in terms of sticking to and very much keeping um, the, the, the 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 list of print titles. We're being asked increasingly to work with um, big sort of luxury global third party um, partners. So we are creating content for people. We, 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 we did an amazing deal um, with American Express last year um, and created a luxury family travel guide in print and online for them. We did a wonderful project um, with the Swiss Tourism Board this year. Um, and have created again a, a fabulous both print and digital um, content piece around visit Switzerland um, and the ski season um, across all of their regions um, this year. Um, so a lot more of that. And then obviously, you know, we we we've got a huge amount more to do with the online business. Um, we've launched three of our eight projected hubs. So, so, so the content hub, the What's On um, Culture Hub, has been has been live for a couple of years. But you know, very recently we launched the Interiors Hub and the Great British Brands Hub. The Travel Hub will be launched imminently, um, as 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 we're able to, you know, as the hotels in the UK and and all the staycation venues reopen, and we hopefully are going to be able to begin to travel abroad again. But, but so we've got a massive digital rollout and a huge amount to do to, to over the next three years for that plan to come together. So, so we've, 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 got a, we've got an enormous amount on our plate, but we're very, very excited about it all. And you know, everything, is, everything is coming together. And, and as I said at the beginning of the conversation, you know, with, with, um, with I think, you know, lots of optimism, for all of us, um, as shops reopen, as restaurants reopen, as bars reopen, as hotels reopen, and hopefully the borders can begin to safely come down in terms of you know travel, both in the UK and abroad, um, become more available. Mm, that sounds hugely exciting, and yeah, just just a very small to do list there for you. <laughs> yes, yeah, um, yeah. 
and on the topic of, of property, it would be wrong for me not to bring property into this, given that we are Night Frank and it's such a huge part of, of what you do. And so yeah. when you were looking for, for your home, what sort of things were you looking for? Did your experience in the, the luxury property market and working with brands like Night Frank, did that influence your decision or had you always had a very particular idea of, of what you wanted in a home? I think that I mean we're very lucky in that we do literally as a, as a as a sort of a family founded business we live a country and townhouse life so um, uh, not every weekend but but as many as we can we are in the New Forest at the weekend um, but live and work in London during the week that is a I think important and be really nice to be able to live the life that the that, that, that the business is is based around. So no, I don't know. I mean, I've 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 lived in this sort of in, incredibly peripatetic sort of London existence, and have kind of lived everywhere from from Holland Park to Islington to Clapham to Fulham, and we currently live in Acton, um, which actually I have to say, anywhere I've lived in London, I've I've enjoyed most. Um, we have two quite young children, and we're very lucky. There's an amazing school here. It's half an hour away from our office in Fulham, um, which is obviously massively convenient. We're surrounded by wonderful people here. So, 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 and and is also very, very convenient for our New Forest commute because um, you can get straight out onto the M4 or the M3. So, I think, I think the convenience of mixing London and country life is the is the key criteria. Mm. And is that almost, I, I never like to put words on other people's mouths, but from whenever I have these conversations, everybody who seems to have some sort of country getaway or some sort of oasis away from the city, it tends to be because they, they need that almost that space. They need that sort of mental respite that comes with being a bit further out of the hustle and bustle of the city. And so it's having your, your place in the new forest of being able to live that sort of country and townhouse lifestyle. Is that super important for your mental health? Massively important for our mental health. And um, we're incredibly lucky in that the, the New Forest House has a, a, a really big garden and, um, and 30 acres of woods and a lake. And so we can sort of literally, I mean, not, not that we are very glamorous anyway, um, even, even during our London birth, but one can go from um, a sort of a, a, a very glamorous um, Friday afternoon meeting with Knight Frank or with Cartier or with Rolex or with Colfax and Fowler and then be down in the New Forest on Saturday morning and sort of almost go completely feral and disappear into the, um, the, 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 the vegetable patch up to your knees in horse manure or down into the woods with a chainsaw and, and sort of literally sort of flip, flip the coin from London glamour to, 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 to country bumpkin. And, you know, the children can completely run wild um, and not bath for 48 hours and, and, and everything sort of really gets back to sort of grassroots um, reality in a sort of very literal way. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I think that's something that everybody's become more appreciative of over the past year is that the absolute need to have that space to be outdoors and to experience everything that nature can give us from a, from a mental perspective as well as a physical one. So I think that's that's really lovely to hear. And 
to sort of wrap up, begin to wrap up our conversation, um, I wanted to touch a little bit on our, our partnerships, so the partnership between Night Frank and, and Country and Townhouse. And as you've spoken to a lot throughout this conversation, it is that real mix between having the, the country and having the London knives, being able to combine those two things rather than living them very separately. And that's something I suppose at Night Frank that we do quite well and that we're a, a company that not only focuses on, on London and city life, but also has the more rural aspects to it as well. And so when you were looking for, at the beginning of your sort of experience of setting up country and townhouse, when you were looking for, for estate agency partners and looking to partner with people within the property industry, was it was Night Frank a natural partner for you in that, because we did almost embody that ethos that you were trying to get out with country and townhouse? You were you were literally a, 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 a founding partner, and I, I wouldn't have been able to get the magazine off the ground without Knight Frank's support. So, um, so, so, so the partnership with Knight Frank um, means an enormous amount to me. You were the first people um, that I spoke to about the viability of the concept of launching it, and it was having the knowledge that that, that Knight Frank would back this brand new concept. Um, I, I, I suppose a hybrid between the resident magazine, which, which you know, with, with, with whom we work very, very closely with Knight Frank and some of the elements of country life um, with, with, obviously, with whom you obviously work very closely too. Um, so it was the concept of a hybrid between a bit of country life, a bit of the resident, and then the other elements of a bit of Tatler, a bit of Vanity Fair, a bit of House and Garden, and bringing all of those things together. Um, that, that, that Knight Frank saw um, the opportunity for that to be a successful platform for them. And then being able to then go and talk to the very top jewellery companies, the very top watch companies, the top interior companies, the Berry Brothers and the Justerini's and Brooks, um, the top travel companies and being able to bring... You know, so, so, so the concept was always to, to marry the very best London and country houses together with the very best of jewellery, the very best of watch, the very, you know, the, 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 the wonderful things in life of which your house was the sort of the, the, the fundamental um, cornerstone. So to begin to wrap up every podcast, we do a quick fire round. And the first question of which is city or country? Both. <laughs> Penthouse or townhouse? Townhouse. Call or email? Definitely call. Office or working from home? I'm, I really need to be in the office. I'm, I'm not disciplined enough to work from home. I have to get up and go to work and sit there. Otherwise, I start sort of watching the cricket or um, some box set on Netflix. <laughs> it's easily done um walk or run walk after my five years of running far too far far too often in the army finally a slightly trickier one but slightly similar to the first one london or the new forest mm, um i really uh, the, the the combination of the two is really important at the moment but probably new forest eventually Amazing. And the final question that I wanted to ask you today is, and we've already spoken about this a little bit, but what does your partnership with Knight Frank mean to you? Our partnership with Knight Frank, apart from the fact, as I've already mentioned, Knight Frank being really fundamental um, to our ability to found and launch the business, it means you know, in, our, in, our, in our attempts to partner 
with the very best in class in every sector in which we operate. Um, working with Knight Frank allows us to do that um, within the property market. Um, I think everything about Knight Frank is, 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 is to me about excellence. And I think particularly about um, bringing old fashioned, the best of the old fashioned British values, um, but very much adapted to the modern world, um, I think is how I would sum up how I would sum up Knight Frank, which is very much about, you know, what we're trying to do with Country and Townhouse as well. Amazing. Jeremy, this has been brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, thank you, Becky, very much indeed. It's been a real pleasure being on the podcast with you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of At Home With. This marks the end of season three and what a series it has been. We'll be back in a couple of months time with even more brilliant guests. And in the meantime, if you're needing your At Home With fix, there's over 30 episodes in our back catalogue for you to tap into. And make sure you're interacting with us on social media so we can get your thoughts on what you think about the podcast. I'll see you in a couple of months time.